Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Nursing Matters with me, Rachel Hollis. I'm the chair of the Royal College of Nursing Professional Nursing Committee. I'm a children's cancer nurse and I live in North Yorkshire. So welcome back first to my co-host and fellow committee member, Professor Alison Leary. Hi, Rachel. Nice to be back. Hi, Alison. (laughs) Good to have you back again, Alison. In our last episode, we talked about the fact that the RCN has just rejoined the International Council of Nurses. And of course, International Nurses Day is celebrated around the world on the 12th of May, which is, for any listeners who didn't know, the anniversary of Florence Nightingale's birth. What does this day mean to you? It's a great way to mark the um, participation of of nurses in the global community, isn't it? um, I think it's a good chance to draw attention to nursing. Of course, I would argue that every day is Nurses Day (laughs) uh, and Midwives Day. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's nice to mark Florence's uh, anniversary. She she was also a statistician, so um, feel an affinity for the visualisation of data. But yeah, I think it's it's a nice opportunity. There's no doubt that nursing and midwifery have a significant impact on all communities and areas of, of our society. So to mark Nurses Day this year, we wanted to invite guests to help us explore their own unique role and understand the impact that they have on patient care, on healthcare provision and in society. This year, the RCN has taken as its theme for Nurses Day, the best of nursing. And joining us to explore that theme, we have Kirsty John and Rohit Sagu. Kirsty John is a charge nurse at Her Majesty's Prison, Cardiff, Cardiff and Vale University Health Board. She was named as RCN Wales Nurse of the Year in 2021 in recognition of her outstanding leadership in this particularly challenging environment. Hello, Kirsty, and welcome to Nursing Matters. Hello, thank you for inviting me on. Our other guest is Rohit Sagu, and Rohit is a registered children's nurse, so always delighted to welcome a fellow children's nurse to the podcast. And he's the founder and director of British Sikh Nurses. He's currently undertaking a PhD at the University of Bedfordshire, and he won the leadership category of the RCN Nursing Awards last year for his work in bridging gaps between the Sikh community and the National Health Service. So hello, Rohit, and thank you for joining us on Nursing Matters. Yeah, hello everyone and thank you for welcoming me to this podcast. Great to have you. We're going to explore what brought you both into nursing and your very different roles shortly. But first, we wanted to ask you about that phrase, the best of nursing. Kirsty, what what does that phrase mean to you? I think we should celebrate all nurses and especially over the past two years, nurses have done such an amazing job. And I think it's lovely that we get to recognise that and also to, to highlight the different types of nurses, how many different specialities there are mm. and from all backgrounds and all different walks of life. How about you, Rohit? What's the best of nursing for you? I think the best of nursing for me certainly would be um, innovation and nurse entrepreneurship. I think that's the very best. I think we've moved... Um, certainly from the days of Florence Nightingale, where, you know, we've we've really established a, a care base for most of our, uh, the fundamental principles, really, of nursing, we've all established, and we actually, you know, carry that out. But I think it's just taking that innovative step, step of taking the nursing one step further. And I think that's where nurse ent- entrepreneurship really comes in. So really thinking outside of the box, and what we can do even more to advance healthcare. Now, to find out more about our guests and turning first to Rohit. Rohit, why did you first decide to become a nurse? 
I actually stumbled across nursing, to be honest. You know, it was a friend of mine just actually said to me, you're really caring in terms of what you do. You'd make a really good a good nurse. So I actually started my program, about, I started training about 21 years ago. It was amazing because I, I started in mental, I started my training in the mental health field first. Mm. And then it didn't really quite work out six months into my training until I got a chair chucked at me on placement. And I thought, this isn't what I really wanted to do. And I, I actually, you know, went into a, um, a nursery placement, fell in love with working with the children and really thought, this is what I want to do. I really want to get into children's nursing. And from there, it just escalated from there, really. It was just a joy to be a children's nurse and be registered now for around 21 years. From then on, obviously, I've gone on to education. So after 12 years of nursing, I went on to education and started teaching children's nursing as well. So that was a benefit as well to just give back to my experience and give back to student nurses and see them flourish in terms of the profession as well. Um, and then thereafter, it was just the innovation that I started six years ago, which was the, the birth of British Sikh nurses. Rohit, why did, why did you think that group was needed? I'm faith based. So it's obviously based upon the Sikh faith and just going to the Sikh temple, which is a Gurdwara. So going there, you know, and and we did some health screening and we kind of saw a lot of um, obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure within the South Asian community. And it was just responsive of doing something for the community. And I thought, what can I do here? And we started health screening programs. From then on, we got in touch with the health, the health and social care department got in touch with us and said, you know, there's a real backlog of like not people not responding to organ donation or stem cell donation. And we really need to make some raise, raise some awareness within the BAME community for that. So that it stumbled across of there and then just escalated from there where I started doing organ donation drives, stem cell donation drives, raising awareness of taboo issues within the Sikh community. So things that we don't talk about, much like alcoholism, menopause and lots of other things as well that, you know, are really just put on, under the carpet. So it was just really raising those issues and talking about them and discussing them and talking about health promotional items as well such as you know what can we do to lower our blood pressures what can we do to you know maintain diabetics uh, diabetes as well for those you know there's a high incidence of diabetes in the south asian community so it's really thinking about you know combating those areas and really having some education to um the older generation in those areas as well and also bridging the gap between the nhs and south, the south asian community obviously there's, there's lots of um patients that are you know, of an elderly age, English is a second language, so they're not able to understand, um, you know, all the health benefits and all the health promotional materials and the health education as well. So it's really translating that to them. Sort of in terms of getting those messages over, for you, what, what are the important things that you would think about when you're trying to get across a really important health promotion message within your community? I think it's um, being a trusted voice is one. So one of the key things that I did was I went across all media platforms within the South Asian community. So I've made myself quite publicly displayed on TV channels, Asian TV channels, TV, radio, social media, and then repetitiveness in terms of my message as well. So it was a lot of that. And then supporting families was a real good thing. So in terms of organ donation, I've supported several families as well that have one family that have found a donor as well and a recipient has come forward and so it's those case studies and those stories that really escalate 
what you're doing and really you get a voice within you heard heard within your community and i think the most important thing was actually face to face as well so going out to the congregation and i think that really helped bridge the gap as well which i think is a gap that community nursing needs and it's one of the things that i have discussed with other organizations as well and i think that's a gap that really needs to be filled um is looking at grassroots work and how community nurses and nhs can engage with faith groups or community outreach groups in terms of community work as well so how they can engage engage with them to really get the message across for health promotion i mean you know obviously within the Sikh communities there were lots of other organizations and south asian organizations as well so collaboration was really key as well so working with other organizations and then expanding that to government organizations as well so working with the department of health and social care and um, i've certainly worked with NHS Blood and Transplant, Mary Curie and various other organisations to really think about how we give the message across the South Asian communities in terms of health promotion items as well and also taboo subjects as well around mental health as well so it's it's just really collaboration it's key you also feature in a, a film to mark nurses day this year which focuses on your work reaching out to to homeless people can you tell us a little bit about that yeah so um in addition to all the strings on my bow i don't know how i find the time for this to be honest and doing a phd as well so i really don't know how i juggle the time is yeah yes i go out on um you know a, th- a couple of thursdays a month with uh, an organization called nishkarm swat and what we do is there's two uh, divisions to it there's a healthcare division and there's the outreach division of which they feed the homeless. So one of the tenets of the Sikh religion is selfless service. And one of the key things within the, the selfless service is a communal kitchen that every Gurdwara has throughout the whole entire world. And so it's a, it's just giving free food to the community and sitting down at the same level. So it doesn't make a difference if you're a judge or if you're, you know, a, a nurse, you will sit down on the floor and you will together eat. And that's the part of, you know, the part of the faith that we have. So one of the key things that Nishkan Swat do is they obviously feed the homeless. But I then headed up along with other pharmacists and other health professionals in terms of having a, an ambulance for the healthcare needs of the homeless as well. And quite a few of them do come with blisters and, you know, dental problems. So we've got a dentist on hand. So we look at all of the holistic care that we can give them as well. And there's a real sense of selfless service. And, you know, it's, it's lovely to do. It's lovely to do. You, you see both sides of it. So it's, it's I think I think the most important thing is you're working outside of the remit of the hospital walls and you're working in the heart of the community. Very inspiring, Rohit. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, can I, I turn to Kirsty? Can you can you tell us a bit about the story of your own career in nursing and what took you into your current role as a prison nurse? Yeah, certainly. So I went into nursing um, later. I was um, I'd had a, another career before I started in nursing. I was a prison officer for ten years, hmm. and it was in my role in the prison that I became really interested in mental health and how that had an effect on the men we have in custody. So when I left my role as a prison officer, I've got some care experience, and then I applied to be a mental health nurse. And that's how I started my my nursing journey, really. Um, I didn't think, to be honest, when I did my nursing training, that it would lead me back into the prison service. But my first job as a newly qualified nurse was at HMP Cardiff. And I went back there, newly qualified. So I spent um, the first part of my nursing career there. Then I went into the community and worked in substance misuse. 
but that ultimately led me back into the prison and I really, really missed working in a custodial environment. So um, for the past now two years, I've been back at HMP Cardiff as a band seven nurse. Going back into, um, so you went back two years ago. So I guess that the pandemic must have really impacted on the way that you delivered care in the in the prison. Yes, definitely. So I went back in the December um, in a new role. I'd gone from a band six nurse to a band seven nurse. So that was already a, a big change for me. Mm. And then COVID arrived in March. So pretty much since then, that's taken up nearly all of my time. And we've had to come up with new ways of working, but also making sure that the men are not penalised in any way and that they still have the same health provision that they should have. So that led to you know, people not coming in to see them as much, but we still had to provide that service for them and make sure that they had everything that they needed. And I know that you um, you set up a, both a testing service and also a vaccination hub in the prison. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, we were the first um, prison in Wales to start testing symptomatic men. So when men became symptomatic in custody, we, we tested them straight away for um, for covid so that we could manage the risks around that and we could make sure that the prison was as safe as it could be for the men and also for the staff. So um, we, we also now do a day one and day five reception screening. So any man coming into custody will be tested on, on his first day in custody and then again in day five. Mm-hmm. And we do a reverse cohorting unit so that the men are kept separate until we have those two clear results to stop community spread within the establishment. Mm. We also found with the vaccinations that we were having um, the mass vaccination team coming into the into the prison to carry out the vaccines. But this proved quite difficult due to how, how difficult it is to get into a prison, really. Yeah. Um, so we, we felt that it would be more beneficial for us to offer the vaccines ourselves. So we worked with the community vaccination team to make sure the staff were trained, that we were following the same policies and procedures. But by doing that, it meant that we could offer the men a vaccine within seven days of coming into custody. And we've we've kept that as a rolling program now. So all men coming into custody, we check their community records and then we offer them the vaccine, whether that's their first vaccine, their second vaccine mm. or booster. So that that's continuing and looks to, set to continue. Excellent. And have you had sort of outbreaks within the prison? Have you managed to control any cases that you have had? Yes, we've had several outbreaks at the moment. Mm. We're not in outbreaks and we found it in clusters. So we found that the majority of cases were coming in um, in, in through the new receptions. This is why we introduced the day one and day five testing. Mm. But it's so difficult to socially distance within a prison environment. And we found that once it was in, then we would see clusters of outbreaks. So, for example, if, if we had a few cases on A-Wing, then we would see quite a lot of cases on A-Wing and, and you right. know, the same across the prison. Um, we had lots of staff members who tested positive and, it, and ultimately it was the staff that, that were bringing, bringing the virus into the establishment. Mm-hmm. And it was just about managing those outbreaks safely. Um, we're still offering shielding at the moment. So even though shielding has, has ceased in the community, we still offer it to all the vulnerable men in custody because they haven't got the the option of protecting themselves like they would have with their home. So lots lots of changes, even though the changes in the community have happened, that hasn't filtered down. So like I said, we we are still offering shielding, we are still offering isolation, so it is still quite prevalent within the prison state. Going back to your work on vaccination, is there generally good uptake when you offer it? So we're running about um, 70% of all the establishment have had at least one dose. 
Mm. which does tend to make this up the community but we do have a really high um, refusal rate right so we've we've worked with really closely with public health wales and the prison staff to try and look at how we can improve vaccination uptake the education department made a video which is shown on prison television and we had prisoners who received the vaccine talking about the reasons why they they had it and why they think it's important and we continue to to battle really to get as many men vaccinated as we can because we know that's going to make the prison a much safer place. But we are still seeing quite high refusal rates. Because when you look at the health needs of the men you care for in prison, Kirsty, you you must see very starkly the impact of health inequalities on their lives. And and I guess if you're providing acute and sort of longer term care, is there anything? that you can also do to mitigate the impact of those health inequalities in the longer term? I think if you look at the prison population, um, men in custody are deemed older adults at 55 because of the health inequalities that they face. So for us, really, we've got a captive audience. We've got those men with us and we need to make the most of that and do as much as we can for them while, while they are with us. So whether that's getting their diabetes under control or managing their epilepsy, Looking at those chronic health conditions, some some men have got really poor attendance for outside in, in the community for attending their GP and managing their conditions. So for us, it's about managing that as best we can and using the time that we've got them effectively. So, for example, we offer all men in custody bloodborne virus testing. So we can combat those virus. So like, for example, hep C is really prevalent in the prison estate is 6% in the prison compared to 0.6% in the community. So it's, it's about using the, our time effectively and getting as much done for those men as we possibly can to improve those health outcomes. I guess that you sort of have got literally, I think you talked earlier about having a captive audience. You clearly have got a population of, of men and you're looking to... Um, address both some acute needs and that longer term needs what would a typical day look like for you Kirsty if there is such a thing I think it's quite difficult to to look at a typical day because I, there's one thing I will say about prison nursing is no two days are the same mm-hmm. so you know we do tend to start our day with a, with a medication round which can be very large so um, we will still t- take up quite a lot of the morning. So we will give out all the routine medications and then also things like opiate replacements. So we'll be issuing methadone, buprenorphine. Um, if there are no incidents that day, then our free time is spent looking at wounds, taking bloods, carrying out ECGs, just looking at anything that needs to be done for that man. But then on top of that, you've got any emergency response or any incidents that happen throughout the prison in the day we respond to. That can be anything from chest pain, somebody's cut themselves, deliberate self-harm, fights, assaults, you name it, we pretty much come across it. There's never a dull day. No two days are ever the same. So what would you say to anyone listening who would be interested in a career as a prison nurse? It's obviously something that you, you, you know, you're career path was maybe unusual in moving from prison into nursing and back into prison nursing but what would you say um, to people thinking about that career? I think people are often surprised when they come in at what a lovely environment it is and that sounds quite strange to say really when you're talking about a prison environment but I think when you do come in is a, is a really nice atmosphere we've got really good relationships with the men we've got really good relationships with the prison staff and it's such a rewarding career to be able to to offer 
some of the most vulnerable in society, that treatment and that care. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think sometimes when, especially when I was going into prison nursing, a lot of people tried to talk me out of it in a way and said, oh, you know, you, you might, you might de-skill or you might not be able to keep up with things. But I completely disagree with that because I've learned things in the prison that I would never have learned anywhere else as a mental health nurse. It's a really unique environment and one which I would definitely recommend that people consider and think about. It's funny because we hear that with a, with a lot of community nursing that, if you, if you don't work in a hospital, you'll de-skill. But actually, it's such an autonomous practice if you're not working in a hospital. And I think, yeah, it, it's kind of this myth that's grown up, isn't it, that I've never found any evidence for. Um, and and in things like recruitment and retention are, are an issue across nursing. Is it an issue in the prison service, Kirsty? Yes, that's definitely our biggest our biggest issue is is recruitment and retention. Um We've got an excellent group of nurses, but unfortunately, they tend to leave for promotion. So there was a lot of really, really excellent band five nurses who go on for band six positions. And I would love to be able to offer everybody a band six position, but unfortunately, I can't. So we, the feedback we tend to get is that when we lose nurses, they, they move on for band six and promotion. And that's our biggest issue because we do have a very limited number of band six positions within the prison. I mean, it sounds like an incredibly responsible job that would be a band six at least role, um, just listening to, to what you're saying. So it, it's kind of uh, maybe the establishment needs to be looked at. Yeah, like I said, I would love to be able to offer everyone band six. There are, there are some prisons that are, you know, band six. The positions are band sixes. We are not one of them. We are under workforce review at the moment and hopefully that will lead to more positions becoming available. Rohit, well, sort of returning to the theme of um, International Nurses Day and the International Council of Nurses, which, as you know, the ASEAN has recently rejoined, um, has taken for the last five years a theme um, for International Nurses Day of nurses, a voice to lead. How would you characterise that leadership voice of nursing today? I think it's an international voice, certainly. And certainly what we're seeing from the NHS at the moment is because Obviously, now the government are striving to have 50,000 nurses recruited by 2024. The majority of them will be from an international background. So really, it's really thinking about the international um, associations that we work with within the UK. Um, So all the, you know, like the Nigerian Nursing Association, the Caribbean Nursing Association, the Philippine Nursing Association and many, many more. It's actually really thinking about how we work with them in terms of transitioning those international nurses into the British way of life and the British way of nursing as well. To have that partnership back again for the RCN, I think it opens that door in terms of that transition and that support mechanism as as well for international nurses joining the UK nursing workforce as well. And I think that's really thoroughly important that we need to think about that transition. It's more than just coming to the country and working. It's actually thinking about what, you know, their OSCEs, how they're training, the differences in terms of their training, differences in terms of nursing environments, and also, you know, the skills that they have and recognising the skills that they have as well. So much of the complaints have been around thinking about recognition of prior learning and what they've had. Um, and really recognising that is really important. It's all the OSCE-based stuff and training and interview training as well. And I think one of the key things I'm working with H, 
um, uh, health education England at the moment is ESOL as well, ESOL learning. So English is a second language. If we think about what we do on the wards, we have lots of colloquial British sayings that we have that a lot of international nurses would be, you know, familiar with. Um, and there's lots of things they'll be unfamiliar with as well when they come into a, a you know, a, you know, accents, you know, from different regions of the, the country as well. So if you're looking some looking after someone from a Yorkshire accent and you're Filipino, you're not really going to quite understand what they they can't they may say. So it's all of those things that need to be you know recognised as well, as opposed to saying you know at the end of the day if they've come along and if they failed their OSCE or etc. Or so, you know they get a chance to try again or you know they're sent back or you know they're not they don't make the mark. So I think it's really recognise that diversity and that mm. cultural awareness and I think it's one of the, the things that I've been striving for in, in nursing uh, as a lecturer as well is to really think about cultural awareness and I think personally cultural awareness should be embedded in in all our um, academic courses in nursing education um, and it should be embedded I, I mean we do do it uh, on the face of look, looking at case studies and etc and so forth but I think then just needs to be a standalone in my opinion, there needs to be a standalone module on cultural awareness as well. So we're not just looking at cultural awareness from, you know, black and ethnic minorities. We're looking at it from Roman Romani population. You're looking at it from, you know, Eastern Europeans and et cetera. And just cultural awareness and the things that might be different. So bathing, for instance, might be different in um, another, you know, culture in comparison to the normal British culture so it's those small things that we need to read those small nuances that we need to really acknowledge and I think that will be help that will help in terms of that transition for for to make us more international as well I think we have such a diverse you know we have such a diverse community in here in the UK as of course in, in many other countries and such a diverse workforce and I think you're right that we don't fully recognize that and ensure that our our working practices and the way we work with colleagues from around the world is aligned to the the circumstances and the communities that that we work in yeah i mean uh, uh, i was privileged enough to go to a um, celebration day for international nurses um with the florence nightingale foundation i think they're doing some really stellar work in terms of just uh, recognizing international nurses and how what their contribution is and how to really develop international nurses as well because a lot of them obviously you know they come in at band five it's then very difficult for them to get band six they fail interviews and we question why they fail interviews as well um, and the support needs around interviews as well to for, to, for them to make that transition from band five to band six because many of them are probably already qualified at band six and I think one of the things that Kirsty was saying which I kind of picked up on I think you guys picked up on as well is is you know I think Kirsty you're doing an absolute amazing job and it's such a specialist role that I'm very surprised myself how it's a band five at the very beginning. It should be actually a band six. It's so specialist in terms of what we're doing. That that should be recognised as a band six, and then there should be promotion to band seven. So I'm dumbfounded how it's a band five with all that you do. <laughs> That's the thing. And so this is the same thing with you know international nurses. They come over, they've probably got up to band seven skills, but they come come over to the UK and it's suddenly a band five so we're not really acknowledging the skill set they have and I think that's one of the areas that we really need to look at and that's across the board it sounds like. Mm. 
Kirsty, I'd, I'd like to um, ask you, because you received this award last year, which highlighted the effective leadership you bring to your role in the prison. Do you think nursing is, is a position of leadership in its own right? Yes, I think it definitely is. I mean, you look at the levels of responsibility, as we were just talking about, that even band five nurses have down to our healthcare support workers. You know, everyone is really in a leadership role. I was quite surprised when I, I, I won the award, especially through the pandemic, because when you look at the amazing work that everyone is doing, especially through COVID and the leadership skills that people have shown, you just think everyone deserves more recognition than they get really I feel. What do you think makes an effective leader in nursing? For me personally I like to I feel like I like to lead by example I really like to be involved in what the team are doing Um, I think a lot of the nurses appreciate that so throughout Covid I like to be as included as I could be I think that really helps. Do you think we could kind of think about how we do that in healthcare more widely and maybe even in society more generally, that that role of nursing? I mean, it's really interesting hearing Rohit talk about his uh, contribution to his community and your contribution to your community. And that obviously goes outside of clinical work, doesn't it? You're doing more than sort of clinical tasks, as it were. Yeah, and I think we're we're moving away from when people think of nurses, they, they think of, you know, all kind and caring, which, you know, all nurses are but I think it's about looking at the wider picture as well and all on all the other things that we do and all the other things that we offer like like you said with Rohit with the community work it's, it's amazing that, that that is there. I think adding to that is actually recognizing it first in the yes. first instance yeah. I think that's really imperative within our nursing field we're so attached to nursing being in the four walls of a hospital that we don't think of anything outside of it and that's you know and that's what we need to think about we need to really expand our horizons and say how much contribution do community nurses make how many how much contribution do nurses like Kirsty make in terms of the prison population as well mm. that's one of the things that we don't really acknowledge and I think we need to and that's the only way really where you'll get outstanding leaders because you'll get leaders thinking from different angles and you'll certainly get them thinking outside of the box there are probably things that Kirsty does that a normal nurse doesn't do but there's innovation in terms of it so one of the things that I was thinking when Kirsty was talking is um, you know that transition period before prisoners to go out into the community how is their health then you know you you've obviously you know, looked after their health within the prison setting. But how does that continuum go on when they're outside of the community? Is it then handed over to a community nurse or is there something bespoke that really supports those prisoners, specifically supports, supports those prisoners outside of the community? So those are the things that you probably get someone like Kirsty in leadership role thinking about is how do we make that happen? It probably does happen. I'm probably unaware of it. But um, no, those are the key things that you probably need to think about is, all of those things that happen outside of the four walls of the hospital or uh, another environment. Yeah, I've got a friend who does that, social in, social um, inclusion and homelessness nurse, and she says that nursing is social justice. Yeah. Which I quite like. The majority of the time we have really good links with the community, especially specialist services. So, for example, we have really good links with the mental health services in the community and, and specialist bloodborne viruses, uh, virus teams, but I think sometimes we do tend to miss, especially our more chaotic men who work with no GP and they're not registered anywhere. I think we definitely, there could be a lot of work done in the future on how we improve that. And that, that's where innovation comes in. 
And that that's where you make great leaders because and that's where great leaders come from. And that's what I honestly think that great leaders come from. It's those innovative or gaps in ideas. And I'm sure, Alison, you'll see this as a research person yourself as well, that, you know, it is even though we look at evidence based practice in terms of gaps in, in research, what are their gaps in terms of what we do in ordinary life as nurses as well? And how can we innovate from those ordinary gaps that happen? Alison, the, the ICN's sort of theme around nurses being a voice to lead is also um, this year a campaign into a call to invest in, in nursing, something we've talked about a lot. So in the context of what we've talked about today and also um, thinking about the need for nurses to have a strong political voice, why should nurses really engage with the political context of healthcare in, in making some of perhaps the changes that we've talked about today or recognising some of those challenges that we've talked about? I think the, the main reason if you engage either with the, you know, politics with a small P or a big P is the, you know, the fact that the health service in all four countries of the UK is politically driven. You know, policy, the healthcare policy, everything from pay to how services delivered starts off in some kind of political arena mm. or can be drawn back into it. And, you know, we see that a lot with unevidence-based targets. We see that a lot in, in terms of um, the value that we've talked a little bit about today of of the work of, of people like nurses. So that I think that's why I, I think it's essential that people do engage with the political context even if it's not party politics mm. or, or sort of local politics but certainly the influencing side of things yeah Rohit Kirsty anything you'd like to add to that no I, I totally agree I think if we take a political stance we can invoke change but it's mm. having going back to what I've done is having a trusted voice within the mm. nursing community to mm. uh, relay what the nursing community wants to say as well. And yes, we've got, you know, RCN leaders, we've got um, other leaders within other areas of nursing as well. But I think it's nice to have an independent voice from nursing as well that grows from the nursing faculty, let's say, as you say, that, you know, emerges from the nursing faculty to turn around and say, this is the voice of what really nurses need and what they have as well. Yes, we've got unions, but I think we need just an active voice from somewhere else as well and an independent active voice as well. And I think, Alison, you talked about sort of nursing being social justice. And I think, you know, there is a real role for nurses as agents of, of social change. And I think we've heard that from from both of our guests today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that comes across really strongly, doesn't it? You know, you see you see issues affecting people and then you you meet those needs. And I think that that's such a good, good illustration of making that happen, because there's, there's kind of sometimes a lot of talking, but perhaps not so much action um, for, for very good reasons quite often. But, but I think it's a really good way of showing sort of intent into action, which, which is fantastic to see. So we've reached the end of the podcast, but we will be back soon and we'd love to know what you would like us to talk about. So tell us what you're interested in or concerned about in the world of nursing by tweeting us at the RCN with the hashtag Nursing Matters. But for this week, thanks to our special guests. So thank you, Kirsty, for joining us. Thank you. And Rohit Sagu. Thank you, Rohit. Thank you. Thanks as ever to my co-host, Alison Leary. Thanks, Rachel. And remember to follow us on Spotify, 
Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got time, we'd love a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to spread the word about Nursing Matters. So thanks for listening. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Thank you.